So today we're going to be making fun of bookkeepers, accountants, and CPAs because we got four FP&As. It's a lot of like abbreviations. So if you don't realize it, today's about FP&A. Today we have Paul. Hey, Paul. Hey, how you doing? We're good. And we've got two Steves. This is like a, a one for four, a four for one. Something like that. <laughs> so, Paul, let's talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the FP&A guy. How'd you come up with that? So, you know, I started posting on LinkedIn, oh, I don't know, six, seven years ago when I first did it, I think now 20, probably 2016. And somewhere along the way, I used a hashtag one time, hashtag the, so everybody had a hashtag. I'm, I'm going to put the FP&A guy, you know, kind of funny story. And I used it for a while and then somebody complained about it and I was going to switch and I started using some different hashtags. Someone complained saying, well, there's girls in FP&A. And I'm like, well, yes, but I'm a guy. Like, I'm not trying to offend you. <laughs> and so I uh, toyed with switching, but then uh, other people started referencing it to link to me. And I'm like, okay, people like this. I'm going to stick with it. And as I started to build a following and realized, you know, with some different opportunities, I could turn it into a business. I was like, I will call it the FP&A guy. That's what everybody knows me as anyway. Nice. Could have been the FP&A dude. Yeah. Could have been the FP&A person. You know, there's lots of, could have done lots of things. Doesn't have quite the same <laughs> ring though. No, it doesn't. No, I don't think either of those. I think FP&A guy worked out the best. So, you helped shape the PL one day and not just create the PL. I'd like to know a little bit more about this general manager that was like, you're the greatest FPA partner. Was that the start? Was that the start of the love? Well, um, so that was a guy I'd worked with several years ago. And funny enough, he had actually been my CFO. And then he became the general manager and I became his FPA. And so we had a very strong relationship and you know, one day he commented, you know, like you said there, that you help shape the PL, not just report it. And he really appreciated that. He appreciated that I tried really hard to understand the business and to be there to help the business make better decisions, not just build a forecast and do my reporting for corporate, so to speak. And so we had a great relationship and worked through a number of, you know, different initiatives, restructuring and programs to try to drive and move the business forward together. Nice. So today we have a special show. I'm calling it a special show because there's actually four of us. Usually there's only two. So, Paul, you already introduced yourself. Two, we have Mr. Stephen Newland. So Steve Newland was our director of FP&A for the last 12, 14 months. And recently he decided to diversify. And he is now one of our CFO consultants. We love Steve. He came in at a time where... The FP&A team was growing. The FP&A function has always been very uh, dear and near to me. I have Stephen Byler too today. Hey guys, Dan was starting to say we, we did start Growth Lab almost almost ten years ago. Almost now. ten years ago, let's get up there. And uh, we always had FP&A CFO services as kind of our our core. And as we grew the business to be a finance as a service business, you know, we 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 spent years actually building out what does strategic services look like. We went through a bunch of different names, right? But it really was all pre-iterations of what is now our FP&A service, which we deliver to customers on a, that month in, month out cadence, just like accounting, bookkeeping. And uh, yeah, Steve came in, yeah, yeah, 
better part of a more than year, ago. year ago, yeah. and you know, really helped us uh, continue to grow those analysts, the team, and the packaged service. You know, we've been doing this for 10 years when I can get up on a podcast video and wear a Hawaiian shirt. That's a sign you've arrived. I was going to say, that's an awesome <laughs> shirt. I think I arrived a long time ago. <laughs> Steve Newell, tell us a little bit about what you're up to. So, yeah, like you said, kind of diversifying a little bit, but helping a, a nonprofit here in Atlanta with their kind of more on the operational side of the finance uh, finances, focused on foster care here in Atlanta, which is a pretty big uh, area of need in the Atlanta area specifically. So I've been really, really jumping into that about the past month or so. And then, yeah, just trying to uh, to go out there and, and find some uh, some small businesses and customers to work with locally here in Atlanta uh, who need a little bit of that extra FP&A love. And uh, and obviously still supporting supporting some awesome customers at Growth Lab. An important part of the services that are provided to small, medium sized businesses and the value that even uh, venture backed startups need. It does start with bookkeeping. It does start with good, solid accrual accounting if needed. But there is this bridge between where I've been or where I'm at versus where I want to go where many of these businesses can't afford that sort of great here CFO, right? And what they really need is just plain old boring planning. And we usually talk about FP&A and planning built on three things. One, cadence. Two, rigor. Three, the team. So we've got a special guest here today, and I want to talk to Paul about the FP&A function. We saw it a lot over the years. It's been around for 20 years, guys right? It's been around Fortune 500 companies. I cut my teeth there. It was such an important part of the business, especially in the reporting. But once you left corporate, people were like, what is FP and what? FP what? FPA? What's FPA? Paul, how do we break that? How do we break that mold? Like, how do we actually push evangelize FP&A into the small, medium-sized business world? You know, that's a great question. I think a lot of what's being done is is slowly doing that. So I think there's a few things. You know, COVID highlighted the need for that financial discipline, whether that be cash flow, scenario management, scenario planning. And you've seen a lot of people also with that in the great resignation, you've seen a lot of people make that move to starting their own thing and doing fractional CFO and fractional FP&A services. And let's face it, often... So people who do fractional CFO are doing a lot of those budgeting and forecasting and FP&A tasks where they call them FP&A, they're doing some CFO. So there's some overlap there for sure. And I definitely see that continuing to grow. And so I think, one, just so many people being willing to go out there and starting to evangelize and tell businesses and being able to show businesses the benefit, right? If you can show them tangibly that, look, I came into a company, here's the growth rate after I was there, here's what we did to their planning, here's how we improve things more and more companies are going to start seeing that value. In addition to, I think more companies saw the value coming out of COVID and saw strategically that, you know, FP&A is in a unique position. And I really like how one uh, CEO put it of a, a large company. He said, you know, outside of the CEO, the FP&A is the only group that has a 360 view of the business, right? Nobody else has yep. that. And what's better is they have an operational and they see it from a financial lens. 
And that's hugely valuable because you can see pitfalls and things that others don't see and bring them up. So I think it's continuing to help people understand that it's strategic in nature. It's value creation. You know, bookkeeping is very important, mm-hmm. right? But bookkeeping is historical. Generally, you're not focused, forward-looking, strategic role. Sometimes they may be doing both, but right, FP&A is much more supposed to be that kind of role. And I think we need to continue to share that message of the value and people who are doing it need to make sure they're providing value. The worst thing for spreading that message is companies that say they're giving you advisory services and all they do is your bookkeeping. Yeah. Right. And they charge you for it. And we all know they're out there and we all know what happens. When I'm talking to people, I'm telling them, if you're not getting more than bookkeeping and you're paying for advisory services, you need to go find another firm. Awesome. Because they're doing you a disservice. So, you know... Let's talk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have Stephen Byler jump in next and then Steve Newland. I'm going to kind of tee this up. So in our business, Paul, we make money because of cadence and rigor and a great team that we can leverage the work and we click repeat, mm-hmm. repeat, repeat. So which, which yep. actually parlays into, well, you need a framework in order to offer this as a fractional FPA, fractional CFO, fractional whatever. But at the end of the day, if it's just about one person, then all you're doing is billing out hours, time, and you're capped out at 40. So you got to figure out how to leverage that. So Steve, question number one to you is talk about the strategic business cycle and the importance of that being the higher level framework. And then Steve Newland, I want to talk about the ops call, the finance call, and how it repeats every month. So start with you, Stephen. Yeah, this takes takes us back because uh, we... we articulated, you know, that annual strategic business cycle, right? That what, what is this CFO leading? What is the C, CEO leading? And, you know, every quarter, every month, you're focused on something different, right? Unlike bookkeeping, where you're just keeping it, keeping the books clean and closed. FP&A, CFO, you need to focus on different things throughout the year. You know, end, end of the year, you're, you're starting the middle of the year. Uh, you know, you have your, your adjusted budget, you build, you know, then October timeframe, September, October, you're building your uh, long range plan, rebuilding it. What, where am I going to be at in five years uh, based on, you know, where I'm kind of ending the year by then, you know, like where, where things are ending, finish out the year, close the books, do your taxes, do your uh, employee, you know, uh, uh, who, who, who do you need around? Who's going to be there strategically for the next year? Then you re- re- repeat the cycle, right? So uh, you got your budget for the year, all that stuff. We, we tried to deliver that to customers annual and it didn't, didn't really stick. Right. It was very strategic. It was very great, but it really needed that CFO to to lead every single every single month. Right. And an analyst could not come in uh, even after you know, a good year of, of training. They were great, great analysts, great people, um, but they could not lead that whole thing because they haven't been through that 12 times with a with a corporation. Right. And we had to, to um, boil it down to what is that monthly cadence that we need? So the onboarding of a new FPA customer here at Growth Lab is building that long range plan, making sure you have that. Uh, plan locked in for the next 12 months. Uh, and then it's, you know, it, it is the finance call and the ops call that Steve will talk about. And that is like how we kind of really boiled down what is FP&A for the growing startup. How do we deliver true value and that insight so that founders, business owners, VPs of finance inside of our startups can really leverage our team? So step one, long range plan, three years, five years, it really is a function of the business. Step two, annual operating plan right? That's this year's plan. Step three, employee comp, employee rewards, awards, pay for performance, right? And then three, it's that rolling 12-month forecast. So 
Now, Steve Newland, you got the you got this bicycle, right? Remember the clown bicycle guys where you had the big wheel? Well, the big wheel is kind of what Steve and Byler just mentioned. It it's turning once a year. Now you got the small wheel. Let's talk about the small wheel, Steve, because this is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to adding value to the customers. Yeah, yeah. And I actually I had a firsthand view at like how this truly was beneficial, you know, month after month after month with a good number of customers. So um, I'll kind of start with a finance call first. So essentially what a finance call and, and these these happen, call it every two ish weeks, depending on the calendar. But usually you're going to have a finance call once a month and then you'll have an ops call once a month and they're about two ish weeks apart. So the finance call is, hey, OK, the books are closed. Let's take a look at, you know, it's kind of a historical view. What happened last month? Um, you know, where, let's compare that versus our budget. You know, what do we need to tweak in the forecast based on what we saw historically? Um, what are some trends? Where are you running high on? Why is your software spend a little higher than we thought? That kind of stuff. That's the finance call. The ops call then is kind of a strategic pullback of, okay, let's let's not focus too in depth on the financials historically. Let's just kind of pull back. Let's get the the holistic view of the business. You know, any changes in headcount. Where do you see the next six months going? What do we need to tweak in the forecast? Why is our revenue higher than we think it should be? You know, for the for the second half of the year, it's uh, it's and the, and the value there is you're you're the the business owner is so in the weeds. I mean, if anyone's run a business, you know, I mean, you're so in the weeds day to day. It's hard to pull up. It's hard to just get that strategic view. So this meeting is a, intentionally built in for that um, to kind of provide that space every month to, to pull back and look strategically. At least here at Growth Lab, we have the annual strategic business cycle, which is our guiding light, right? We have the monthly cadence and the two meetings that Stephen Newland just mentioned was the ops call and then the finance call, mm -hmm. which straddles the accounting close call. So if you are a customer of Growth Lab and you are a full service, Forget about tax for a second. You've got at least three touch points, plus the work that kind of goes around that on the analyst side, and then, of course, the bookkeeping and closes. Now, Paul, we talked about leverage and a couple ways to lever, right? You lever capital, you lever people, and you leverage technology. I've been watching you for the last year. You talk a lot about technology. It's a tough bullet to swallow in this business because many of our business, many of our customers, and I just got off one of the biggest venture-backed pet insurance uh, companies out there, and he's like, "Yeah, Dan, we did this. We went with this company, and then we went with that company, and I'm trying to raise capital, and the investors just want to get into the weeds." What do you say to that? Like, what are you seeing out there in terms of technology versus Excel? There's always this, like, rub. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think first, Excel or I like to say spreadsheets, right? Excel, Google Sheet, whatever, equals, there are others out there. Spreadsheets aren't going anywhere. They're the ideal form factor. They always have a place. Now, the thing is, the typical spreadsheet, whether it be Excel, Google Sheets, you know, one of the other competitors, is not an enterprise scalable solution. There comes a point where Excel by itself is just not manageable. And I'm sure you worked at Corporate America. Anyone who's worked in a large company understands that. Doesn't mean you don't use it for certain parts, but it, it can't manage that whole process, right? 
It doesn't have a database behind it. You got the privacy, you got the collaboration. And so what I like to say is spreadsheets are always going to be there for certain use cases and they may always be part of that budgeting. But when it becomes a pain point where it's no longer easy to do in Excel and you know, there's multiple signs of that. There's the, you're starting to integrate with a lot of different data. You got 30 different departments now. You got, you know, 5,000 employees, whatever it might be. And you got hyper growth. You need to start looking and saying, how can I leverage technology to be better? You know, whether that be data warehouse and BI and doing some kind of planning within a BI platform or bringing in a more purpose-built planning tool. You know, some of them are designed to just manage the pitfalls of a spreadsheet and some of them are a web app and, you know, everything in between. And so what I like to tell people is there is no best tool. I, I love when I get the message on LinkedIn, tell me what tool I should buy for my company. Okay. Um, sure. We'll buy anyone because you won't know otherwise since you think any of them can, you know, it doesn't matter in the sense of you got to tell right. me a lot of questions. What's the size of your company? What's your industry? What do you want to accomplish? What's important to you? You know, and on and on. And then I'll like, okay, here's some tools to consider, but I'll never tell someone go buy this tool. Cause I just, one, I'm, that just makes no sense. And two, if I do that, obviously as soon as it goes wrong, they're going to come back and be like, well, you told me to buy this tool. Right. No, yeah. I'm with you. And the yeah. thing is with companies like ours, yes, we make money because we leverage people and technology, uh, mm -hmm. not so much capital. The other big piece is outside of cadence, it's a standard operating procedure. So when we go to market, Paul, we will say, okay, it's going to cost X and it's pretty much fixed price regardless of size of the business. It's really based on value sure. and needs. And we say 80% of the value you are paying for, right? 80% has to be focused on like 20, like it has to be focused on that standard operating procedure so that we can add a little bit of that ad hoc love that many of our business customers want. So kind of going around the table here, I know, Paul, you didn't want to mention tech, but so maybe I'll, uh, instead of putting you on the spot, I'll start with Stephen Byler. Talk to me about a tool that you really like, and you guys can't say Excel or Google, that doesn't count. So what tool do you guys really like? Obviously, a lot of our customers are on these general ledgers, right? QuickBooks, online, and Xero. It does go back to the evolution of the business, right? Just like uh, the prospect we just got off the phone with. As, you know, I find that they start off in spreadsheets. We, we, we like to move them to a software that can help us and help them. And then at some point when they're going out for their series B, C, sometimes A, all those investors do want to get in the weeds and they, they want to control your plan, right? And they, they can't be in Giraffe or Basis or in uh, LiveFlow is probably not scalable enough, but they kind of force companies back into Excel before they get to a place where that activist investor is kind of pulling out again and you can go back into a, a more of an enterprise ready platform. But I, we've had a lot of success with uh, Drav, Basis, pieces of software that do let you really get in there and control your plan, but they do take a lot of like time to get to know how to do this, right? We, I'll say all of us, all of us know how to use Excel. We all know that uh, and we love it because of that. Um, but these, we brought some analysts in and did not go into Excel with them, right? They need to get business acumen. They need to get experience Need to understand like different business models. But we didn't like mess around with like giving them like, here's our here's how we typically build an Excel model. We jumped right into Giraffe and they just were native Giraffe users and didn't know really how to build a plan in Excel, honestly. And, you know, that was it was a it was a beautiful thing to have them 
have that kind of native uh, experience and comfort with uh, a platform like Giraffe. Personally, I like those ones because they they are pretty they are very robust um, versus something that just creates a creates a plan based off of your QuickBooks data. Eh, that, that's okay if you, if that's really all you need, uh, and it's super fast. You can spin up a three year plan in fifteen minutes, but it's not that robust, and you don't really understand where it's coming from, what it's doing. That's that's what I like when we dig in with customers. So for us guys, like the giraffe, the basis that has allowed us to create a path of um, standard operating procedure, but um, has allowed us to like build an, a team of analysts that are not just stuck in the world of Excel because in our business, we've got to be nimble, agile, and we're not just, you know, we're not just one company, right? We're not just working on one business model. We're usually working on 10, 20, 30 business models, right? Steve Newland, you're next. So you've been with us for a little over a year. Uh, you've seen other uh, platforms, mm -hmm. even at Gravy, you may have used uh, Giraffe, if I'm not mistaken. What are your feelings? Yeah, I mean, if I were to, I'll go, I, first off, I would say there's, you Byler nailed it on the head. There's definitely a learning curve, but I feel like once you get past that learning curve, um, just like anything, just like Excel has a learning curve, you know, just like anything, um, you, that's when you kind of start to reap the, reap the benefits of the tool. Um, I'll call out another one that uh, I don't know that you mentioned it, Byler. I, I've really been impressed with Fathom and specifically the reporting that Fathom offers. It's a very uh, kind of connects into your QBO data and it just produces like really buttoned up, like kind of drag and drop type report building. Um, so we've been able to really utilize that and build some really crisp, clean, uh, professional looking uh, reports. Um, so I've really enjoyed uh, kind of tapping into that tool. Yeah. Prior to all of this, FPNA to me was like you had a you had an S base, you had Hyperion, right? <laughs> and it took you days to get access to the yeah. freaking dashboards, and then they wouldn't let you right. Obviously, this is a very different like segment of the market that we are servicing. I'm, I, I'd like to get your your take on the me small, medium sized venture back startup. What tools do you like out there? Yeah, so I think you know in that small stage, let, let's break it into a few ones. There's some that are very much helping you start up, like day one, like Forecaster, is very much seed Series A, and they're a software with the service. They're trying to add those advisory services, and it's really a very hands-on touch. So you have someone like them in the very, very early days. There's another one called I think it's Box, just out of the UK that launched a similar to to that Sturpy, you know. And so those are some of them in that very kind of early days startup where they're helping with the plan. Sometimes you're helping with funding, mm -hmm. things like that. Then you get that, you know, that next stage where they're a little bigger, you know, series A, series B, whatever. If you're SaaS, some people are going with Mosaic, purpose-built SaaS tool, you know, hundred out of the box metrics. Others, if you want to do it in Google Sheets, a lot of people like Liveflow, right? There's some other tools like that. I've talked to two or three companies in the last month that are creating basically different versions of Liveflow, one over in France, one was, I think, a guy in India that I talked to. And so you're seeing that. And then, you know, Giraffe is very popular. Giraffe has been around quite a while and has built quite a following. They have a good distribution channel among the CPA. You know, Basis is fairly new and has done well. And, you know, and there are some others out there um, that are that are coming. Basis and Giraffe. And then you kind of build from there to a little bit more of that small mid-market. Maybe Finmark plays a little bit in there of those early days in building. It's owned by Bill.com. And then you start to scale up and you see like a data elves or a cube, which is a little bit bigger, generally, you know, mosaic a little bigger and 
from there you get into, you know, even that more mid-market, you start seeing the adaptives and uh, the pigments of the world, the Verettos. And I could go on for quite a while with all the different tools till you get to that point where you get to the ones you mentioned, right? Your Oracle, your SAP, your, your TM1, the big, huge enterprise grade. And what's great is you have something across the entire spectrum today, not only size, but also functionality. If somebody wants to say stay in their spreadsheet, there's are tools that are built completely on your spreadsheet. If you want to get out of your spreadsheet, there's tools like Causal, uh, Logica, others out there that are really almost saying, don't use your spreadsheet at all. Anaplan, Pigment, mm -hmm. and kind of everything in between. There's even some today that have said, look, we're going to allow you to do 100% of your planning as a right back to your warehouse within your Power BI tool or within Click. And so you're actually doing integrated planning all in your BI tool. So, you know, there's so many options. And what's great is they're focusing on, there's something along all the different sizes that are trying to design to meet the needs, right? Because yeah. planning is very different as a startup. And then again, as a series A compared to write a series D or that early IPO, and then compare that to an Amazon, mm -hmm. right? Those are totally different tools. So much more is needed on this scale than this scale. So there was a time where you were in FP&A or you were in BI. And BI usually fell under, uh, back then they used to call it like MIS, right? Uh, yep. Under IT, right? Do you feel like from a capability standpoint, so I'm 48, if I hadn't done this before, imagining coming into this at this age, yeah, you can probably like figure out the, you can probably figure out the uh, planning side. You know, you slap a few Kagers on some of the chart of accounts, you do some, <laughs> right, blah, blah, blah. And then on the other side, if you wanted a pretty dashboards and, and business intelligence, right, never mind like AI and trying to, to decipher stuff itself, right? But like, I feel like recently, and definitely recently in the last five years, this bridge between FP&A and business intelligence has like shrunk. Like you really can't be an FP&A unless you know BI. I'm not even talking about the Microsoft BI. It could be any of the other ones. Paul, what are you thinking? What, like when we talk about BI and FP&A, like do you still see them as two separate functions? Do you still see them as two separate capabilities? You know, it's a great question. It still varies a little bit by company, but you know, one way I look at it is I had a guy who's a startup CFO and he'd been a CFO, I think five times. And he made a comment on a podcast that really stuck with me. He goes, if you want to know if someone's a modern CFO, does finance own analytics? Mm -hmm. If they do, the answer is yes. Now, if they don't, it's not always no. Some could depend on the company. But if they do, you know some. You know you have someone that's more modern and understands that data drives businesses today, and finance is a central point. And so I think you're seeing more and more analytics teams go under finance because one, we're a support function, we're neutral, right? If you think of churn, are all the different SaaS metrics. If you go to marketing, they're going to define it one way that benefits their business. You go to customer support, they'll define it slightly different. And having that kind of neutral, where it's like, what's best for the business view? And talking to the others and having them kind of own that, I think makes sense. So yes, I definitely do think we're seeing a convergence. Does it always need to be owned by finance? Of course not. They're going to be very successful businesses. But I think finance people need to understand at least the basics of BI and be able to think through it. You know, I've spent some time on a number of BI projects throughout my career. My first one was back in 
I think it was 2011. I was working on, you know, implementing MicroStrategy where I worked. I've done a little bit on Tableau. I've helped implement, you know, a little bit of Domo and Power BI before. Yeah. And it's been very valuable to have that experience. Continue on that topic of BI, because I do believe BI is the end game of FPNA. FPNA has a framework, and mm -hmm. BI is one of the ways you need to provide the analytics and the reporting and hopefully a real time or mm -hmm. close to real time. Yep. Now we're not talking fortune 500. We're not even talking like middle market. Maybe we're talking lower middle market, medium sized businesses, uh, startups that have demanding boards and investors. <laughs> Isn't that every startup? Uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, depending on, uh, that's a different, we'll have to have a different episode on that. Um, how do, how do companies like ours that are truly like an extension of our customers' teams, our businesses' teams, like how do we provide that FP&A BI service? Like how, do you, how would you recommend a CPA, an accountant, yeah. right? You know, th that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I think the, one of the easiest ways for companies to start looking at BI, and we'll talk there, right? Because, you know, there's plenty of tools out there, but you need that discipline within the company of their data and how they access it are really the self-service tools. And those are getting better. You know, Microsoft BI is, pro is, is not probably, it's the dominant one in the marketplace because, right, you have Excel, you can get the basics of it with an E3 or E5 license, whatever, you know, you have and most businesses that use Excel. So I think, you know, having that basic of it being self-service self is a natural area to start down that road of doing BI because, you know, you can learn. I learned a lot of the Power BI stuff and DAX and all that in Excel because it has Power Pivot, it has Power Query. It's kind of that natural fit for most companies. You know, if you're Google, then maybe it's Looker. But I think there's a natural fit where you can just start experimenting, building some reporting and help as the company starts to develop, right? Because it's a while before most companies are going to have a warehouse and have data structure. It's early days. They're trying to figure out product market fit and then they're trying to scale and Right. And so I think having something that's flexible, that's self-service, somebody that knows some basics is a good place to start. And don't overcomplicate it. You know, keep it, keep it simple in the early days. What's really important, right? Sometimes like, well, we want to see all the data. Yeah, so does everybody else. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're going to make smarter decisions. Keep it simple. What data is going to drive creating value? All right, Steve Newland, on, on to you. All right, Paul. I know you do a lot of trainings for FP&A teams, at least I know you've been kind of doing that a little bit lately. Um, if you could go back and tell Paul, the early FP&A analyst, Paul, uh, what is like one or two things that you would say, you know, you're going to, you're going to wish you knew this in five or 10 years, what would, uh, what would a couple of those things be? One Influencing doesn't mean just telling people you have a good idea and expecting them to get on board. I remember thinking early in my career, like I'd worked on a project, my boss had signed off and it made sense to me. And I told the business, well, this is how we should do it. And they just kind of basically all laughed at me, like ignored me. Like we have no desire to do that. And I never really sold it. Just thinking, well, it is a good idea. So why isn't everybody on board? So I think understanding the importance of influencing, of really, you know, understanding people's perspective and bringing them along is something I wish I had known early. And then the second is I'm a very detailed person and I wish I would have focused earlier on bringing it up. 
I had a general manager and this was oh, probably six, six, seven years ago now. It's not that long ago where he one time told me, he goes, you need to follow the bluff principle. And that's always stuck with me. Bottom line up front, get to the point. You know, don't get into all the weeds. Cause I'm a very, I can get very analytical. Anyone who knows me knows that just ask my poor wife. <laughs> and so, you know, remembering that you got to pull it up and focus strategic. That's really what they need at, you know, the people at the level you're typically managing in FP&A, which are our leaders. They don't need all the details. You need to boil it down for them. Yeah, you, you should think through it, right? Think about the second derivative, the third derivative, right? But you don't have to model the damn stuff because you're like messing around with 20%, right? You, you're focusing on 80%. Mm-hmm. Like what's actually going to drive profitability? What's going to drive the need for capital? Focus on those three or four things. They probably like they probably take care of the rest. The 20% is just friggin' noise. Yeah, no, I All think right. those are both like good good points, especially for early like career people, because early career, you are the individual contributor, right? You're the technician, you're the, you know, you're the Excel jockey, the draft jockey, any of those things, right? But if you think, where am I gonna, like what is gonna be transformative for me, right? Moving from an individual contributor to like a manager to an executive, you really need to be able to influence people, right? And if you don't don't start that when you get the, that title, right? You gotta start that when you're yep. you know, in early early days, right? And, uh, and you, you influence by getting, like getting to the point. Right. And, um, I remember like some of the trainings with our analysts, you know, they'd be like, well, it's 72.15%. I don't, I don't care. Just tell me 70%. Right. Um, and that's what the customer cares about, you know, cause we, we're going to make decisions not based on that 2.15%. We're going to make decisions based on the direction, the trajectory, right? Where we're going. Formatting and keep it real. Yeah. I was going to have ask a question about like for our, our audience, right? Like bookkeepers, CPAs that are, that, you know, want to get into this space, whether they call it FPA, whether they call it advisory. Um, like think, think back to like, you know, those early customers, right? Cause w- none of us are going to jump in from nothing to like working with like a series D company or yeah. series, like we're going to start with that, that, that customer that's like, I'm my, my, my business is growing. I don't know. I can't control my cash. I don't know where my people are, what they're doing. I need some help. Period. You're my bookkeeper. You're my advisor. First person I'm going to call, say, I'm willing to throw some money at this. The question is not so much what you do for them, but how do you think about the persona of, I'll say, your employee, our employee, that's going to help that help that customer? So uh, what states, I want to make sure I understand it. What, what's the customer profile again? It's like that. Um, I'm, I'm I'm serving. I've got a bookkeeping business. I've got a book. Let's call it 50 customers. There's two that are like that are growing like crazy, and they need that extra support. As the bookkeeper, I know that I can't support them because I'm I'm maxed out. I need to hire somebody. What do I look for? Yeah. So I I would look for somebody one that's done FP&A. You know, but. I don't know that I'd necessarily look for a CFO because often at that early stage, a lot of stuff is very tactical. And if you have a CFO that's done a lot of, you know, big picture strategic stuff, then they may not be right. Because, right, as they're growing really fast, there's often two different things they need. And so it's trying to figure that out. Sometimes it's the strategic support they need. Sometimes they may have somebody who can kind of do that. And the second thing is that help with technology and infrastructure, right? As you're scaling really quick okay, we can no longer use QuickBooks. We need to implement something else or we can no longer use whatever. And and so having somebody, when you're starting doing a lot of implementation of systems, if you have someone who's been you know, a longtime CFO, mid-sized companies, they're probably not going to enjoy the work. They're not the right fit. So I think one, 
there's two different type of people you need to look for. There's either one that's done a lot of that strategic work and bringing somebody in that can help guide the business. Maybe they've done some fundraising. They've been through some budgets. They've helped manage senior leaders. Ideally, they've worked in a small company, so they understand what that's like instead of just big companies. And then there's the somebody who's done some of that, but really understands the scaling side and is willing to get into some of the transformation Mm -hmm. and the movement that can take place. Sometimes you can find someone that can do both, but often, you know, those are a little bit different, right? We all want the unicorn, but not, not pay for they're, they're not very common. There's a reason they're rare. You know, so along those lines, Steve, here, and I'd like to do a little bit of a round robin here. Here at the company for years, probably since the beginning, we've always talked about, you know, because get, getting into this, it's too easy to take the CPA accountant mindset and be like, sure. I can do this for you. I'll just charge you 150 bucks an hour, 200 bucks an hour. But again, it's like picking up the phones, like the lawyer model. It doesn't work because nobody wants to pick up the phone because they know they're going to get that bill from you. So you got to be able to develop and deliver a service that is proactive. And here are the kind of the four things that every single small business owner suffers from. Understanding your cash flow. Don't ask me why it's so complicated. I mean, you could just look at your bank account. That tells you a lot about your cash flow. But the problem is once you start having accrual accounting or even cash account, once you start having that financial statement, cash just kind of lets goes. It's so convoluted. Second thing is where you're making and losing money. Small business owners have a really hard time understanding where they're making and losing money. It's just not their thing. They're not in the books. They're not in the weeds. Three, paying for performance, not just for showing up start hiring employees. And the natural, the natural path is, okay, nine to five, 25 bucks an hour, right? And you're just paying people to show up. And number four is marketing for profit, not just sales at all costs or just sell the house, you know, but actually understanding the marketing for profit, right? Am I making profit? So around the table here, and we'll start with Steve Newland, Growth Lab 4. Let's start with number one. How does an advisor, how does an FP&A analyst help a medium-sized business understand where, where their cash is going? I think having good knowledge of the cash flow statement is step one. I've, I've actually seen a lot. And I would say that that was probably the statement that I uh, would say as of even a few year, a couple of years ago would be my least confident statement to talk through and walk through. But I think like knowing the ins and outs of that is is step one um but then i think another kind of key component to that is it's uh it's one thing to kind of help show here's where it's going um but getting that foundation and understanding like where it's gone in the past only helps you as a key advisor to say okay here's where it's going to go in the future um and i think that's just as valuable as here's where it went in the past is let me give you a little bit of a you know insight into where i see things heading in the future um but i think i think that's that's step one. It's just like learning the learning the getting comfortable with the cash flow statement and the the different you know. Uh, adjustments and that's a big challenge uh, with uh, small business owners. They're always like, "Oh, I look at my P and L. I made a million dollars in revenue. I made two hundred fifty thousand dollars in uh, NOP, but my bank account went down by fifty thousand. Paul, I'm going to have you talk about market for profit. That would be number four. But before we go there, Steve. Small business owners are challenged with understanding where they're making and losing money. Why? Mm -hmm. And how do we help them? 
I think in the small business world, I'll just piggyback on what you were, were saying, Steve, because one of the things I love to do with uh, new customers is look at their chart of accounts. And oftentimes, you know, they just dumped everything into sales, right? And that was fine when they started because they had one line of business. Then they grew. They, they started offering different products. They started off different services and they didn't change their chart of accounts. So I, I find the most impactful things, uh, it's not the most elevated, but the most impactful thing for, you know, where are you making and losing money is helping them reorganize their um their chart of accounts, like segment your revenue. Here's my services. Here's my products. These are my subscriptions. These are my, you know, outright sales uh, of sales of product rather than subscriptions, right? Um, and it, it helps them with their cash flow too, because you say, okay, let's talk about what you're selling. When do you pay for that? You know, if they're a manufacturing business, they have to pay for it in like January. It shows up in February or March. They have to like make it into a product and then they sell it and then they collect the cash two months later. That could be six months of like the, the cash is out there. Right. So they're actually talking them through that because they know all those things. They do it every day. I'm always ordering product. I'm always doing this. But they don't think about it after they've been in the business. Like I'm my cash is it's consumed for six months before I can actually see a dollar of revenue on that. So I think both of those, like looking at their chart of accounts, like talking them through, like what what are what are you selling? How do you want to look at that? Do you want to look at that by product? Do you want to look at it by channel, right? Wholesale, direct to consumer. Um, what 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 is what is it that you want to look at your financials with? And then talking them through their um, uh, both your revenue and your cost of goods associated with that can give you a you know that gross profit per like service item, uh, service product. Whatever, whatever it might be. And uh, that's where you can really help them. Like, where am I making money? And what products am I still investing in that I'm, that's, you know, getting subsidized by everything else? Nice. That's like number one thing in FP&A in my mind is financial storytelling. They, they're actually building the content, like the table of content. So I'm going to take number three, Paul. Number three is pay for performance. I believe that FP&A, not HR guys, FPA plays a key role in developing, designing, and managing tracking pay for performance schemes. We have the data and accounting. We have our annual operating plan, even if it's a longer range plan or a shorter range, right? It doesn't matter. FPA plays a key role in making the plan simpler, transparent, and you can just communicate those plans. And they're tied back to what my annual operating plan goals were. All right, Paul, we talked about business intelligence. You love financial modeling. So I left the hardest one for you. Market, marketing for profit. Not just, not just show me the money, show me sales, but actually ensuring that what I'm selling is turning a profit. How does FP&A help? So you mean it's not all about revenue? No. <laughs> right? Isn't that? Know. Sometimes we, it is. We've free. learned that the hard way the last couple of years. When money was free, all of a sudden it was grow, 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 grow. And now interest rates are higher and everybody's like, oh, there should be a balance. I want you to grow, but don't spend so much money growing. <laughs> right? And so I, I think, you know, there's a couple of things you really have to think about. One, FP&A, bringing that financial discipline to help people realize you do realize we just spent $3 to attract $1 of revenue. That's not sustainable in the long term. As I heard somebody put it, you know, um, for SaaS businesses, high CAC venture capital will fund your growth. Low CAC, your customers will fund your growth. And over the long run, venture funding isn't sustainable, right? At some point they're going to get out. And so I think that kind of gets to that point of, Discipline and there's some things where FPA can really help, making sure they review 
and have those difficult conversations about the sales compensation plans. Mm -hmm. How are you compensating salespeople? If you're just compensating them on revenue with zero concern about profit, then that's what they're going to do, right? You just gave them a game plan that said, I don't care about profit. You know, on marketing, how are you attributing things? How are you holding accounting or not accounting, marketing accountable mm -hmm. for how they're spending and making sure they understand there's an ROI. And there's a, there's a balance there because we all recognize that you can't attribute everything and some things need to be done to build a brand that don't directly have a dollar return. So it's not just being like, if you can't show me every single dollar, my view is we can't spend it and we'll, you know, fight that battle, but you need to be practical and, and work with them, but you really need to help bring them along hiring, right? Does an operations person ever say, oh yeah, I need less people. No. When's the last time that happened? Never. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Never. And so you need capacity modeling, like show me, don't just tell me you feel like you need a person. Let's walk through how many calls can they handle? How many calls are you getting? What's the impact if we don't hire somebody? So it's just really that discipline across the business to help everybody realize every dollar we spend, we should be generating something. You know, I worked for a global company and I still remember they'd let go of the prior CEO and brought in a new CEO. And one of the first meetings we had, they go, over the last couple of years, we've grown, but we've spent a dollar oh seven for every dollar of revenue we've grown. Mm. That's not sustainable. So we need to make some changes. When you hear something like, why do I bother planning? Why do I even bother planning? I'm going to miss it anyways. What do you think? Around the three of you. I go back to that call that we got in the middle of COVID, Paul. Uh, and we, our phrase was planning is back in vogue again because nobody had planned for <laughs> something like this. And um, so why do I even bother planning? It's because this guy that called us, uh, we were doing office hours, we were doing podcasts, and we did not know this guy from Holdenwald, not, not a referral, not a customer. He was from North Carolina, I think he called. I remember this. But he called, uh, emailed Dan, I believe it was, and it was like, I just listened to your, your podcast, and um, it was 9 a.m., and I just got in the office, and I immediately picked up my keys, went home, and told my wife, we're implementing the nuclear option. <laughs> and he had a plan, and it wasn't until he sat down and like realized, like, Oh, I need to be thinking about where do I think this is going to go in the next three months and then think, you know, and he had a plan for good for him. And he decided to click the button and say, yeah, we need to execute on this, the nuclear option. And we never go out into like what his nuclear option was, but he had a plan that that is why we do planning, because, yes, it will change. You won't hit your targets. You you're one thing about every plan. It's going to be wrong. I just don't know how it's going to be wrong. Paul, your turn. I love how you said, if it's wrong, you know, you just don't know how it's going to be wrong. Because I like to say there was one month where I think I nailed the forecast, like multiple businesses that all rolled up to like less than a thousand dollars on, you know, $10 million or whatever. And somebody's like, you're really good at forecasting. And I'm like, if I could be this accurate, I'd be sitting on the beach somewhere because I would have made a fortune in the stock market. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it's not about being right. It's about making smart assumptions, helping the business have a plan of how to move forward and then being flexible. I mean, right. COVID. Most people's plan, you could just flush it the day after COVID hit because that plan was, in many cases, never going to be hit. Either you're going to way exceed it or you weren't going to come close. And so, but you went through a process. And if especially if you do scenarios, that helps you prepare for different situations. 
I mean, planning is so important. You think of preparation. How many hours does somebody put in in sports, right? How many hours did Michael Jordan spend in the gym or Kobe Bryant or whoever, LeBron James, whatever guy you like, right? How many times did Tiger Woods hit a ball? Those are all preparation. Those are all, they, they had a plan of how they wanted to get somewhere. And it's really the process that helps you think and helps prepare you. Not the final numbers you come up with. Odds are most companies don't eat, don't, aren't going to hit those numbers. I guess when I think about planning, you know, without a plan, um, it's very easy to drift and just uh, react, uh, whether it's emotionally or in the moment to whatever the newest flavor of the month is or whatever the newest headline is. When you've got a plan, it kind of steadies you a little bit and it kind of keeps your eye on the ball, kind of like what you were saying, Paul, if, if I'm Kobe and I know I'm going to be in the gym shooting, uh, you know, 500 free throws every night, like it, it's a... It, he, you know, without that, how many times would he just skip the gym and just be like, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm going to go. I'm just going to leave. But like it, having a plan kind of kept a steady uh, influence, a steady, a steady positive yeah. influence. And that's not to say the plan doesn't change. The plan does change o- over time and, and it should. But uh, without a plan, you're much more susceptible, I think, to just like, you know, go off in this direction, that direction, this direction. And then that doesn't really get you to your long term where you want to be long term. You're just kind of reacting. And with that said, we're going to close it out. Yeah. Paul, the FPNA guy, what's up next for you? Uh, let's see. I'm working on my uh, next generation market guide. They'll come out here in a few months. And I just launched my uh, second pod- podcast here in about a month ago, Financial Modelers Corner, all about financial modeling. And we just had the uh, guy that's been a two-time world champion in Excel Esports on the podcast, released that today. So that was fun. Nice. nice. We'll have to listen to that. Steve Newland, what's up next for you? Yeah, like I said before, just uh, I'm I'm kind of looking for some uh, some local businesses here in Atlanta to support, um, kind of on the small business side with a little bit of FP&A support, CFO support, and uh, and that's kind of the big thing for me. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're growing. That's that's uh, uh, this week. It's growing our headcount because our team's been stuck. Stuck. And, uh, Need, we need more capacity. It's been the stuck is stuck, <laughs> stuck moment in this company. Just stuck. Can't move anything from accounting onboarding to accounting. It's just stuck. That's not the Getting theme unstuck. of this podcast. That will be the theme of the next podcast. Getting unstuck. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. This was a pleasure and honor. I'll see you guys on LinkedIn. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.